Hey everyone, this is Under the Surface, and you're tuned in to Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. We're also live streaming on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And I'm Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me today. My guest for today is Marjorie Zeik. Marjorie is an East Hampton, Massachusetts native with a fascinating story to tell on many levels. That story concerns not only her own life, but the life of her Polish ancestors and the transformation of East Hampton itself into the city it is today. Marjorie grew up hearing the words of her Polish immigrant grandparents repeated time and time again by her own parents. They told her, it could be so much worse. You could be living in Poland. Be glad you live here. They were speaking of East Hampton, of course, Marjorie's hometown, and the place that Marjorie's grandparents had fled to for refuge around the time of World War I. As young adults, they escaped Poland for the U.S. and settled in East Hampton, never to see their families again. At that time, East Hampton was a step up from where they'd come from with its low-paying mill factory jobs, particularly at the West Boylston Mills on Ferry Street. Marjorie's paternal grandfather, at the urging of Marjorie's grandmother, started a business delivering milk, which was an improvement over being a mill worker. As Marjorie wrote in one of her pieces for the New City Radio Project in East Hampton, the Zykes were among the first families on Federal Street in New City to have a phone, a radio, and a truck. And for those who don't know, New City is actually, from what I understand, an old name for a specific neighborhood in East Hampton that includes Parsons and Ferry Street, where the ruins of one of the old mill factories, the West Boylston Mill, still stands. Despite the gratitude Marjorie's parents were expected to feel for their lot in East Hampton, they were never particularly enchanted by it. Marjorie's father's three sisters were forced to leave school after eighth grade to work in the mills, and this, as you can imagine, was a hard life and a dreaded one for a young person. Marjorie's own father managed to escape his fate, Although he started out working for his father's milk delivery business in his hometown, he found a way out through a civil service job in Boston and then was drafted into the Army where he spent many years in relative safety abroad. But when he returned from the service, his need for a livelihood brought him back to East Hampton to work in his father's milk delivery business once again. And eventually his daughter Marjorie came along who's my guest today. As a teenager in East Hampton High School, she grew up wanting more than what surrounded her. Factory jobs were disappearing then, and she, like many of her peers, were desperate to escape their hometown. So, like her father, she left East Hampton, first for Smith College in Northampton, and then eventually for New York City, where she spent more than three decades, from 1981 to 2013. In New York City, she worked in the support staff management of a law firm and then as a high school teacher for the New York City Department of Education. But in 2013, she returned to East Hampton to care for her late father, who was then 92. But when she returned here, she made the startling discovery that East Hampton had transformed itself into a wonderful place to live, filled with new creative energy that it never had before. She started her own business here, running an arts and crafts thrift store in the Eastworks building called Knack, the Art of Clever Re- Reuse, which if you've been in the area for a while, you may remember. Today, she works for Eastworks itself, the 500,000 square foot repurposed mill building on Pleasant Street that houses artists, event spaces, restaurants, residents, and a, a variety of creative businesses. She's an assistant to the owner, which means she does all the marketing and social media for the Eastworks building. Given her history, the one I just described, can you think of anything more appropriate for her? 
So as a new East Hampton resident myself and a native New Yorker, I'm particularly fascinated by Marjorie's story and the way our stories intersect. And I'm eager to hear her firsthand knowledge of the streets I see every day in my current neighborhood. So Marjorie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Now, from what I understand, both sets of your grandparents on both your maternal and paternal side came from Poland, but the story I just described is about your paternal grandparents. What about your maternal grandparents? Did they also settle in East Hampton? They settled in Northampton, actually in oh. Florence oh. to start. Okay. And my and they both were from Poland and I believe they did not know each other until they came here oh. and met each other. Uh-huh. Uh, likely both working in factories. Here in Florence, I had heard that my paternal grandfather worked at the Florence Casket Company. Oh, which wow. Is still in existence. Making caskets. Making caskets. <laughs> There's a, a story I heard also was that he likely made his own casket. Wow. Perhaps. <laughs> That's Be- pretty Unfortunately, bizarre. he passed away quite young. Uh-huh. And my mother grew up in Florence and Northampton with her mother uh-huh. and her two sisters. Wow. That's fascinating. So you really have roots in this area. Yes. Um, And um, I also have ancestors who left Poland for the U.S., um, but going back, you know, further than yours to my great grandparents. And when I think about your family's story, I'm struck by how shocking and difficult it must have been for people to leave everything they've ever known behind for a totally new country to never see one's home country or family again. Never. We we I don't think that that reality hit me until I was much older and realized that my grandparents had had come here very young and pretty much alone. Mm-hmm. And very few people do those kind of moves nowadays unless they are um, fleeing war and and other very, very adverse circumstances. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, I was, I was thinking, oh, this doesn't happen today. But I was wondering, I mean, in a way... Were your parents, your grandparents were also fleeing really bad circumstances. From right? what I understand, <clears throat> stories that I heard much later in life, there was a, a, around the time of World War I where they were living in Poland, they would have been, the, the, gen, the men would have been drafted into the Russian army and that was not a desirable fate. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they left. So they they were escaping drafting, uh, being drafted because you know of the, having to go to war, basically having to go to war yeah. for for an for a, a country occupying their mm-hmm. right an, an occupying country. There there was never particularly mm-hmm. a, a a warm relationship, right? From and, what I understand, between <laughs> Poland and Russia. And how old were they? About do you think they were in their twenties when they L- came here? Yeah, late teens, early twenties is. Um, and not even with siblings, just completely alone. I under I, to the best of my understanding, my my paternal grandmother came with a sister of hers, but they were separated once they were here. From what I understand, mm-hmm. I think her sister ended up in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, and I've seen census records. I've not been in, done research to any extent. I'm not a genealogy buff, mm-hmm. but I've seen records that of my grandmother's name in the Worcester area before she came to this area. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, everyone who, who might know that, that, know the answers to some of my questions have, has passed on. Right, right. So um, 
that must, I mean, how do you think your grandparents cope with that change? I guess, I mean, it's just so hard to imagine. But then, like I said, there are immigrants who are coming here um, and leaving everything behind, um, leaving their families and that kind of thing. The, I think there, the, the, social, the social safety net then was not as strong as it is now. I do, from what I know, people had to have a contact in the United States. Mm-hmm. But after that contact, I think the factories themselves were served as recruiters and mentors for the incoming immigrants. The New City neighborhood in East Hampton was comprised of factory housing. Mm-hmm. And I believe their people rented at first and eventually purchased their homes mm-hmm. from the factories. Mm-hmm. So, but, but like... Perhaps like immigrants today, people stayed with relatives. People moved on when they heard of opportunities. Mm-hmm. It seems it's it seems like it was a very difficult, a di- very difficult life back then. Mm-hmm. And um, do you have sort of a picture in your mind of maybe what you've learned about what your grandparents' lives were like in their native Poland, and then what it was like in East Hampton? I, I don't know a lot about their yeah their lives in Poland yeah it'd be hard to know it, it's it's all it, it's hard it's hard to know and and like many like many people who immigrated or there wasn't a lot of talk there, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of talk maybe maybe for maybe for reasons that it was painful to to remember uh-huh. maybe it was the language barrier right because we as children were not taught to speak Polish with our grandparents uh-huh. so which is a regret that I have. Wow. Um, I mean, if you can't even talk about this and, you know, that must like change how you even process it, you know, to go through a huge life shift like that. Yeah. It, um, people, people certainly learned English, but my grandmothers in particular, um, I don't remember them speaking very much English at all. Mm -hmm. So we communicated in a rudimentary fashion and, um, my parents' generation all grew up speaking Polish Mm -hmm. and the older children brought the English back into the house after they went to school. Mm -hmm. So the younger, the younger siblings might've known some, some English before they went to school, but it, it, it's very immigrant life today from, from non-English speaking countries is, is still very similar. Yeah. And um, what have you learned about what life was like in East Hampton at the time that your parents grandparents came I mean were the factories filled with other European immigrants as well yes the the factories the English from what I've heard from what I heard anecdotally from my father the English-speaking immigrants and those who had been in the country longer to learn English tended to be the ones with the more skilled positions because they learned English they learned how to work the more technically difficult machines so when people came say from Poland or from French Canada, not speaking English, they often had the lowest skilled jobs in the mills. Mm-hmm. That's just the general hierarchy of things that I that I had heard. Mm-hmm. So things were the less English you knew, the newer you were to the country. <clears throat> the, the 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 more menial mm-hmm. your position was. And where were some of the immigrants from at that time? Do you know? Well, Poland and and and, and Canada. And Canada, okay. Poland and Canada. We had the the new city section of East Hampton, which you spoke of, Parson Street and mm-hmm. the neighboring streets, right. w- were heavily Polish mm-hmm. in my in my growing up years. 
and around Pleasant Street, where actually the West Boylston Mills are um, the, the mills all along Pleasant Street. Um, the, a lot of the housing there seemed to be dedicated more or, uh, or became the housing of Canadians. So the French, oh. the French. Uh-huh. On the, were on Pleasant Street and the Polish. The mills along Pleasant Street became those are the, the housing the, of the no, not no. the mills themselves. The, those those were, that was those were the West Boylston mill. You mentioned uh, the yes, West, West Boylston right. mills on Ferry Street. Mm-hmm. The extent mm-hmm. Pleasant Street is um, the extension of the, the 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 majority of the mills were on Pleasant Street. Right, and across the street are a lot of row houses similar to those in on Parson Street mm-hmm. in that in the New City neighborhood, uh-huh. and that's where. The French Canadians lived. I see. Or met many. I should shouldn't characterize it as only. Uh-huh. But that's that's how I understood it as as a kid. And and we also there there had been earlier waves of immigrants or possibly some simultaneous, but um, from from Germany, mm-hmm. there were Germans and there were Irish. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Right. A lot of a lot of the history, but right. but but those two distinctions were very clear. We also had a French church, mm-hmm. a Polish church, and an Irish church, uh-huh. Roman Catholic. Do you town. know how well these different groups got along with each other? I don't. I don't know that they didn't get along. Yeah, I do know that. Um, as you when you went to school, you met stu- you met other kids from other nationalities, not just the Polish kids in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you might marry a Fr- a, mm-hmm. a Frenchman or an Irishman, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that certainly happened in my family, mm-hmm. in my in my father's generation. Did so you, I, yeah. so I think they got along. Right? Did you say that your grandparents did not learn English, or you're they, not, they they learned some? They learned they learned some English. My mm-hmm. my grandfather, as you mentioned from um, from the anecdote that you read of mine, my grandfather had a business after a while. So he did. He did know. Mm-hmm. He did know some English. Although I, he died when I was seven, and I remember speaking English to him va- uh-huh. vaguely. Uh-huh. But oh, um, yeah, you were very young. Yeah, I was very young. Mm-hmm. And on my mother's side, my grandmother did not speak a lot of English, mm-hmm. and I never knew my paternal grandmother very well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what her English was. So, yeah. but it would often be the case that if you left the home, just like it is today, if you leave the home to work. You learn English faster, mm-hmm. but and since women mostly, many women stayed in the home. Oh, that makes sense. Their yeah. English, their English might not have been as strong. Right. Do you know what the work conditions were like in the factories? I I don't I don't I'm know. Sure, they were bad. I I, <laughs> I, I don't know from firsthand information. No. Uh-huh. I I, okay. I know from from historical rec. From, right. Of from course. Stories historical. That's what I. That that there was a you know the. There, there was a riot of women in the West Boylston Mills. Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, I, I, I don't want to say the year, in that period, maybe mm-hmm. around 1920. What did they make at the West Boylston Mills? They were, they were textile mills. Oh, right. Uh-huh. They, they were spinning um, cotton, I believe, and, right. or maybe some other fibers to make, to make fabric. Yeah. Um, and elastic. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then non-wovens, like felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that suspenders were made and buttons, like cloth-covered buttons, which sounds so dated now. There was yeah. an there was an old name for East Hampton called Web Town because oh. of the elastic that was made. Oh, there was a whole factory called United Elastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know your family maintained um, many traditions from their native Poland and uh, Roman Catholic heritage. Uh, 
I'm just wondering which ones did you grow up with yourself? I think that Poland and Polish translated for me mostly as uh, as as religious uh, traditions. The the the, the Polish um, the Polish people of of the area, um, or my my family attended Roman Catholic Church, and so the traditions around holidays like Christmas. There's mm-hmm. a Christmas Eve celebration that Polish um, Americans and uh, observe called and, Vigilia. Yeah, you wrote about the Vigilia. It's, it's yeah. It's it's a it's it's a, a meal of fish and and other and other traditions, including mm-hmm. a, pa- a an unconsecrated wafer that's passed mm-hmm. in the name of love and peace mm-hmm. amongst the the participants in the dinner. Uh-huh. Um, and and uh, the church. So the I I did not grow up with Polish folk dancing uh-huh. or any or any more tradition or, or even polka music although I know my father did enjoy the dance to, to go polka dancing mm-hmm. when he was you know in his younger years mm-hmm. but my, my the emphasis was you're an American and your job is to excel yeah and to be well educated and to have have a good life right and I'm wondering I know that I, I read in one of your pieces um, that your your father was sort of pigeonholed while he was growing up um, as a Polish boy, was that your father or your grandfather? That was my father. Your that father. Was a, that was a story my father told me. Uh-huh. He he. Obvi- my father was very smart, and so was my mother. They were both very good students. But he 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 had he had a story about not being able to not being able to get better than a C in a particular class. Mm-hmm. The teacher was an old school type of of lady, and she said he said, and he told me, I don't know if I. The Polish, uh, us Polish boys could never get better than a C in our oh, class, no matter what. Might have we, been discrimination. Might have been uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a form of yeah, yeah of of you know the, pe- pecking you know pecking orders. Mm-hmm. I was a high school teacher for many years, and mm-hmm. and um, not, I know it's, that that's neither here nor there with that. But no, well, but, you probably have but, an interesting point of view because of that. Uh, yeah, and and it always hurt me to hear. It, well, the the one or two times that I heard the story, I I felt sad because. Um, I know what it's like to. I know what it's like for kids who come into a school, and it might not even be coming from the teacher. There might be a kind of pecking order in the class, like the the mm-hmm. kids whose families have been in the community longer uh-huh. are are the 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 more favored, oh, or something I see. like that. That's sort of yeah, I thought that happened more in the deep south, but I guess it could happen. It can happen. Other it, places. It too. can happen. It can happen anywhere. <laughs> so it was, it was not that he was uh, sort of targeted by other children necessarily. Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think that. Um, I think that, like any. I mean, there he he probably that comment probably came from feeling that not being recognized for for his own characteristics and being pigeon and just being being grouped with okay well the polish people all they don't speak english they have the lowest paying jobs in the mills therefore mm-hmm. um education oh you know just let them you know pass them and get mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. out and get them back into the the factory job that's waiting for them mm-hmm. that kind that kind of um low expect i think Low expectations, right, which is right. what you know, some which is which which plagues you know urban schools today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely does. And what about your mother's experience? Do you know anything about that? Sure. <clears throat> My mother grew up in Florence. 
she was um, she was fatherless from 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 birth. My it's a very sad story that I heard many times that my my grand when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother, her third child, her husband became very ill with a flu or pneumonia, I don't know which, and passed away during that pregnancy. So my mother grew up without a father. Um, here in in Florence, they moved to Northampton. She was a ve- also like my father, a very bright student, and I don't know all the details, but she and her sisters were very close in age, and basically were in school together, almost in the same grade. So my, when my mother just to keep them together, because mm-hmm. childcare was an issue mm-hmm. when you're in a fatherless family yeah. in, in the depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mother was about was probably 15 when she graduated from high school because she had been accelerated or kept had to keep up with her slightly older sisters wow. just to keep them together uh-huh. it was it was uh, convenient so um, that they could all be in school at the school same time. at the same time in mm-hmm. the same in the same school mm-hmm. um, and I do I I do know that she went on to become a secretary she went to um, what was called a business college. Mm-hmm. There, it was over on Pleasant Street. It was called McCarthy's Business School. Oh, There's really? No such thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a college. It was a, a secretarial course. Mm-hmm. And then she worked in the factories in East Hampton, but oh. as a secretary. Oh, okay. So that was definitely a step up. That was right? a step up. Yeah. Both my parents stepped up into white-collar jobs almost mm-hmm. immediately after high school. Mm-hmm. They did not... Neither of my parents worked in the mills. Mm-hmm. Um, right. They... they they had that that sort of distaste for the whole thing right? or just or just the feeling that okay uh, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm gonna have something better than this yeah They've, they they saw their older siblings or other older children the children of their the other children of the neighborhood doing that and I I, I imagine that was going through their heads and mm-hmm. be, and and being talented at at academics and and wanting more mm-hmm. and your father had uh, started out uh, did he ever work at the? Um, he never worked in the factory because he was uh, working with his own father with the milk delivery. With the milk delivery. He, to but, the best of my knowledge, he never had a. Right. He never had a. But a, your a grandfather job. probably originally originally worked, worked at the factory. At the factory. Uh-huh. Yeah. But what about your grandmother? Did she? I think it, it's possible that she did before yeah. before she um, before she started. She had yeah. she had five children. So uh-huh. wow. Um, so um, how did you feel about East Hampton while growing up? I mean, was there a certain point where you really realized you were dissatisfied with it? Can you describe that angst? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> if you need to I, get a drink of water. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I started off in Catholic school. We used to have three Catholic schools in East Hampton, each uh-huh attached to to one of the parishes because we had three catholic parishes mm-hmm. in town there's one now and um <laughs> I, I i enjoyed school but it was descriptions of catholic school in the 1960s sound like they might be from another well they're from another century but mm-hmm. they're yeah. they were pretty they were pretty rigid and archa- it was a pretty rigid and archaic experience i learned i i learned a lot but it wasn't and I know people who loved Catholic school and really benefited from it, but for me, it was a very um, stressful, you know, tense experience. So, um, and I think my family picked up on it because it was so rigid and probably probably the, the didn't allow for freedom, for of freedom expression. expression. Yeah. Or we. I, I remember having to stand up in the aisle before answering a question, not, not even raising your hand. I, wow. You know, it was just, seems like from the movie. It, it yeah. It, yeah. So that, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah. it's, it's, it's a de- it's a detail and perhaps. An, but it says know, a lot. An, yeah. it, it says a lot about about life in that in, in that time. And um, 
but but I, I have I have friends I grew up with who loved it, went through eighth grade, had a great experience. For for me, I think it was just too too rigid and and. But my mother picked up on it, or my parents picked up on it, and sent me to public school. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just felt that I felt that there was something more. I felt I felt there. I I needed more resources. I needed more um, opportunities to. I loved music, uh, and and I I played instruments and and played with friends and whenever I could. I, um, I found uh, a lot of inspiration in books. I was always at the library, mm-hmm. uh, buying books in Northampton. Going to Northampton for culture mm-hmm. was something then. East Hampton didn't have bookstores. It had a little library, mm-hmm. but Northampton had Forbes Library. Right. It had the college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It had a few more things that East Hampton didn't have. And I gravitated towards those things. And my mother was big on books. My brother and I grew up with books, art, music, everything. Um, we aspire, you know, or I, I should I aspired to, to having those things in my life all the time. And they just, also, I wasn't an athlete. East Hampton, um, sports were big, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Did I, you feel, though, that like a like you didn't really connect with your peers that in some ways then maybe over that and also just the feeling that East Hampton didn't were you aware then that, that it wasn't offering what you needed well, to enrich you, you know? I was aware that I was aware that you couldn't it would be very hard to find a job in East Hampton mm-hmm. my parents both worked for the town of East Hampton and there were very few of those jobs right my father was the tax was worked worked for the board of assessors he was the tax assessor my mother worked as a secretary in the school and those seemed like good jobs to me I didn't want those jobs Mm -hmm. I don't know what I wanted to do but and I didn't want to work in the factory Mm -hmm. there was just a vague sort of deep-seated knowledge that there was nothing for me to do there once I became 18 years old Mm -hmm. Um, I had no idea and there was just a feeling well I'm gonna have to leave Mm -hmm. I'm gonna have to get an education and go somewhere Mm -hmm. it was not very well delineated in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think that most of your peers felt that way or it was really di- different? Because like you say, some maybe love that environment and were excelling in sports or whatever was yeah. kind of emphasized. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, when, when I say sports, I don't, I, I think that was, I, I don't know if that was a, a gateway to anything, maybe to, a, maybe to, you know, a college scholarship or, or, mm-hmm. uh, or just to that feeling of camaraderie yeah. with, with your hometown people. Because sense of belonging. That yeah. sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. That was one way to belong. Um, and um, Did you but, feel like but, you uh, didn't quite belong then? Yeah, I felt, I got good, good grades in school. I was um, considered, you know, high achieving. And certainly that wasn't frowned upon, but... It was. It wasn't. There were no. There were no great prizes for being, you know. Right. You know. Book smart. Book smart <laughs> within the town, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There were no rewards built into, mm-hmm. built into that. Like, oh, I could then, you know, um, I don't know. I don't. Know. It just right. seemed. It. It, yeah. it, it. It's. It seemed. Um, the things that I was good at seemed to lead me. To right. lead me out of town. Yeah. I didn't know where. <laughs> <laughs> and I know. Um, so you, as I mentioned in the introduction, you spent like over 30 years in New York City, and you ended up um, returning to East Hampton to care for your 92-year-old father. Um, and at that 
time, it's my understanding that you, you never thought you would return to East Hampton to live. And yet, after all that, you did. So what happened? <laughs> yeah, East Hampton never seemed to be a practical um, a practical return destination for me. I still didn't didn't have a after I after I experienced the wealth of jobs, opportunity, the diversity, the crazy number of again I fall back on the word opportunities just mm-hmm. for learning, for, for for getting to know people. For You're fi- talking about New about York New City. York. Yeah, I I didn't see. I didn't see any reason why I would ever come back to live in Western Mass and East Hampton particularly. I, I still don't think we, we have, this area has attracted industries that employ a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Employment is ju- difficult. Employment yes. is difficult in Western Mass. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, and, and so what happened after 33 years of, of, of New York and two distinct careers, um, I came back to visit my father in October of 2013 and I had an overwhelming gut feeling of needing to be with him. Um, he was 92, and for many people, 92 is not not given. It's not a given. Mm-hmm. He was doing. He was. He had been doing really, really well. But he'd been alone for f- about 15 years. Uh, my mother had passed away in in 1999, and all the time I'd lived in New York, I visited mm-hmm. several times a year, as often as I could. I I started visiting more after my mother died because my father was alone. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed his company too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just to keep it was it wasn't just out of obligation. Right. I really enjoyed his company. Mm-hmm. So um I noticed I just noticed a few things around the house that 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 tugged at me. Like maybe there was a burned pot a burned saucepan. Mm-hmm. And I thought about how frustrating that must have been for him to forget about that saucepan. Yeah, you know, and 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 just I, it it was a, it wasn't my sole reason for for coming, but it was almost like a calling. Just said you need to be, you need to be here. It's time to leave New right. York. Mm-hmm. I had a great job in New York at the time too, mm-hmm. um, but a relationship had just ended about six months before. I was by I was really alone and. I wasn't going to be alone here. I was going to be doing something really meaningful. And so many people were moving to East Hampton and there were so many from things New York? Ha- from well not just not from I didn't know anyone, but I noticed when I when I came here, I noticed articles in the Gazette about some a different people. I noticed this, I noticed that East Hampton mm-hmm. people are attracted to this area now. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd kind I'd I'd been aware of the changes that had happened since since 1996 when um the town meeting the the town became a city and Mm -hmm. and we had a mayor and the economic development the revitalization of the mills Mm -hmm. all that i mean i'd known stuff was happening it still wasn't that attractive to me Uh but the combination of the level of livability and community that east hampton had offered by the by 2013 as well as my my desire to spend time with my father, be with him, and my readiness to leave behind the achievements that I'd, that I'd made, mm-hmm. uh, created in New York, and then, okay, those are done, those are done, those are done. Mm-hmm. It all just kind of fell into place. Mm-hmm. So you were seeing a lot of these changes in East Hampton, and it, and it was becoming more attractive to you? Yes. At that time. I, like I said, oh, I want to be with Dad. Mm-hmm. 
New York, I've kind of hit a dead end, although I have a great job. Emotionally, I felt dis- I felt that things, something was done in New York. Yeah. Um, it all just kind of, and East Hampton, like, I can't believe it. Like, I actually would like to live there. <laughs> um, just because it, it just felt... I don't know the, the the sense of the sense of the sense of community and mm-hmm. the sense of um, I don't know it was it, it was more of an intimation that I had because I still didn't know anyone here mm-hmm. except for my dad. Yeah. <coughs> well, I think um, we're going to take a brief break right now to hear a song and some messages. But stay with us. We'll be back soon with Marjorie Zyke on Under the Surface.
You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Okay, we're back. Thanks for tuning in. We just heard the talking heads with This Must Be the Place, a song about home and very much related to this discussion. And if you're just joining us, welcome. This is Under the Surface on Valley Free Radio, WXOJ Northampton at 103.3 FM. I'm Amy Landau, and my guest today is East Hampton native Marjorie Zyke, who once vowed never to return to her home. (laughs) She felt like East Hampton was a dead-end town, just like that line from the Bruce Springsteen song, Mm -hmm. Thundered Road. Thunder Road. Do you know that line? Yes. um, It's a town full of losers, and I'm pulling out of here to win. I'm pulling out of here to win. That's a little little extreme harsh harsh for me. I never felt that East Hampton was a town full of losers. I more felt like an oddball. Right. And to find, I needed to find my tribe. And uh-huh. I probably, I wasn't going to find it in East Hampton, mm-hmm. likely. <laughs> yeah. And yet after more than three decades of living in New York City, Marjorie did return to East Hampton. She now loves it there. And this is what we're talking about right now. So um, Marjorie, when you were back, um, you know, when you made the decision to move back here, uh, I mean, I, I imagine for a time you were living in your parent, your father's home. Yes, I I moved back. I I moved back um, sh- shortly, very very shortly after I made the decision, and um, and kept my apartment in New York for only the sh- only the few months it took to sell it. Mm-hmm. So I, yes, I lived I lived in the home that my parents had built. Um, in the early, was that the in, home you grew up? In? I, um, we we grew up on. Um, on a street in New City called Pepin Avenue. I've seen that you know, street. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and close to Parsons Street, mm-hmm. but slightly slightly uh, more modern homes than the rest of New City. Uh-huh. And then in the early 70s, my parents um, purchased a building lot and built a house on, on uh, Taft Avenue near the high school and the playing fields. And it w- it felt like a big step up mm-hmm. um, in terms of... of of comforts and, and, and convenience. So you, when you were living with your father again, you weren't at the home that you not, grew up in? Not, not, no, but it was the home that I'd lived in for a few years as a teenager before moving to col- before going to college and moving uh-huh. to New York. So how did that feel? Uh, and how did it feel being there again long term? Well, uh, maybe a, there was a little bit of an Alice in Wonderland, like I'm too, I'm my, maybe my experiences had, had accrued and I was too big for the house. In a oh. way, you know, that kind of <laughs> Alice in Wonderland with her huge, with, with, with huge long, out, yeah. yeah, that, 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 um, but it's very, it's, my father was really happy that I was coming to be with him. And so it's nice to make somebody happy. Mm-hmm. I hadn't made anybody happy in a long time. Oh yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, um, in, in that in that sense, so it was great to make someone happy. The happiness that feel the feeling of making someone happy elevated me, and I started and I, I started reconnecting with with people that I knew who were living in the area as well, because mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't going back to New York, and I had to remake my life here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and speaking of your father, I'm wondering what was your father's view of East Hampton at the time you cared for him? You know, in his 90s, had his views changed about the place? He was very happy with the 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 um, 
cultural, social, and economic development re- development or, or growth of East Hampton. Mm-hmm. He always said that um, he welcomed the he welcomed newcomers, but he also said in the same breath that none of the the positive changes would have happened without the encouragement and support of old timers who were devoted to the place and wanting to see it thrive. I use the word old timers, but let's say, let's say uh, long time residents uh-huh. who had an investment in the community, uh-huh. um, and that go that that goes against a lot of. A lot of people just very kind of loosely say, you know, oh, the development of East Hampton is all due to all these newcomers. And mm-hmm. I really don't see it that way. And my father didn't see it that way either. The newcomers maybe brought in their 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 ambitions, their entrepreneurial skills and their cash or their ability to mm-hmm. to raise to raise money um, to start new businesses and all that. But but um, there was a lot of support just in 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 the people who didn't want to leave East Hampton, who wanted to be there who um, were glad that businesses were revitalizing and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I'm wondering, you obviously take a lot of pleasure and interest in your family history in East Hampton, despite your past feelings about it from childhood um, when you felt kind of uh, held back there. Do you feel that the new vitality of East Hampton has kind of renewed or sparked your interest in this area? It has. It has. I was asked to participate in a local history project. Was that the but New City, the new city Radio? Radio Project? Right. Uh-huh. I keep hearing about that. <laughs> we, we, we've done a few shows over the past year. They're, they're, they're not radio. They're, they're, um, live they're live performances yeah. to simulate an old time radio yeah. um, uh-huh. program. And so, and so um, the creator of that program, Henry Amistadi, who's a young photographer and multimedia artist, asked me to write about my experience and uh, so I said, okay, but who, you're kind of like, who cares, whatever, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares, but I'll do it anyway. And then people found it interesting. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And so along those lines, what are some of the things you remember just briefly while you're growing up? And, you know, how is it different? I mean, you wrote about new, the new city area, Parsons Street and the Parsons Street School, which I passed. And yes, you went I, to that school. I which, went to, I went to yeah. that. I went, I walked to school. Um, East Hampton had a pedestrian culture for children mm-hmm. and for adults, but for children especially, I have to say, it's a little dismaying. You never see kids out on the streets by themselves anymore. Yeah, and we were, yeah. and I was a very overprotected and sheltered child. Mm-hmm. But I was walked everywhere mm-hmm. at, yeah. at five, six, seven, eight years old uh-huh. um, with friends, sometimes alone. Um, it was a you know it was a different era. What That's one I, thing I'm curious about. Were, are there some good things about the past there, oh, that no. you miss that you wish that I, you know were still um, there? Neighborhood, um, you know, f- friends connecting with you, you had friends who lived in your mm-hmm. neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you may you there there your parents didn't arrange your you know play dates mm-hmm. for you. You met everything was more organic. Yeah. Um, and you 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 were friends with someone often because they were your neighbor or or you or you sat near the you you know you walked to school with them. Um, you. I wonder why that's changed. Do you think it's just because the influx of so many people and just uh, people feeling like they have to protect their children? Well, pro- probably, um, you know, the, I, 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 I don't want to sound like an amateur sociologist, so I, <laughs> I don't know about, you know, and, and, and I don't have children, yeah. but although I was a teacher for many years and, right. and I'm very protective of, mm-hmm. of, of kids, but um, I, I think neighborhood schools, mm-hmm. you know, are, 
don't don't exist don't really exist anymore. So mm-hmm. when the school is right in your neighborhood, oh, I see. You, your kids walk because they're separate from the neighborhood, kind of. They're in East Hampton. They're in East Hampton, but you have to take a bus to get there. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, that's just one very basic thing. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, when when you walk to school, it, it, it's so little. But you know what it's like in New York City. You know, for high schools, there used to be zoned high schools, mm-hmm. and you went or you went to school in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. and it's not the case anymore either. Yeah. So that's um, a good point. So, so decent- decentralizing stuff, the digital, the digital world. Yeah, I was thinking that's a big one. It, yeah. it, it gives us so many advantages in terms of the information we have at our fingertips, but I truly believe it isolates us from mm-hmm. from, from, I, from from each other. There's n- n- nothing beats you know, face-to-face, one-to-one communication. Yeah, I totally agree. It was interesting for me to hear about what Parson Street used to be like, that oh. there was all the grocery store and a bar and all kinds of things right there, and now it's all just kind of residential. It's residential. Yeah. Um, you know, um, we had three, we, we walked to the, to the soup, you know, here, here's a couple dollars, go get a gallon of milk and and a loaf of bread at the at one of, one of the three, super, there were three supermarkets, mm-hmm. at least in my time, and bakeries, bars funeral a funeral parlor Mm -hmm. um drugstore and um well there's still there there was a it's there's a car repair it's a car repair place now but it was a gas station Mm -hmm. um and so it was a self-contained little little neighborhood pleasant pleasant street had the same although i don't think pleasant street had a supermarket if we didn't have cvs maybe we could still have a drugstore right (laughs) right um and so, the, is the is the house where your grandparents grew up still standing? Yes, it is. Where they lived. They lived on yeah. on Federal Street in, yeah. in in between Parson, you know, off Parson Street. Mm-hmm. And my family no longer owns it, but it's it's a nicely maintained two family home. Wow. Owned by someone else. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like you have such an interesting vantage point as somebody who's native to East Hampton and left your town, your small town, and then came back. What is your take on gentrification? And I know that some East Hampton natives, you know, who never left home have a different view of the changes occurring in the in the town. They're worried, oh, we don't want it to become like Northampton, you know, there'll be no place to park or something. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what, what is your take on that? Well, I think it will be hard for East Hampton to become fully gentrified gentrified in the Northampton sense of things we don't have that condent we don't have that very dense downtown mm-hmm. that Northampton has it's still difficult for small businesses to make a go of it in East Hampton with you know great longevity mm-hmm. um, I've, I've seen I, I I took over a business an arts and crafts store from some friends of mine um, when I first after my father died and I first moved here. Oh, so I made a mistake with that. You oh, took, over I took over the business. Knack rather than I, starting it. I, 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 uh, the thrift store. The thrift okay. store. Yeah, yeah, the arts and craft thrift store. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And um, and and it was extremely well loved. I had a blast do- doing it, but it's very hard. You know, bricks and mortar businesses are, are hard to maintain. So mm-hmm. um, I think East Hampton, um, I, I just don't feel like I, I I can't tell you exactly why, but I don't feel like it could ever become a Northampton. I still think there's 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 enough economic diversity in in people who live there, um, and yeah. it, it to some degree it is, and it it became and still is a bedroom community mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because there aren't a lot of jobs in East Hampton. That's true. Um, and as long as people have to travel um, for their jobs, um, I just don't think I don't know. Um, I'm fortunate to work for for a, a very community. East Eastworks has a great sense of community in it, and there are many, many um, 
small businesses within that building. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, I, I don't see businesses getting gigantic either. Right. And, and, and. So, yeah, and I know what you mean about the downtown. Downtown is not really centralized in the way in a Northampton way. is. No. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, like, have you struck up, I mean, are you still friends with people that you knew who never left East Hampton? Do you I, have connections? I do that? have connections to people who, who stayed, um, mm-hmm. to who, who stayed and built their lives in East Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, um, n- not all not all of us left. There are mm-hmm. a lot of great people mm-hmm. who stayed, and I admire them for. St- I admire people for having stayed in the in the valley and and tried to. Ma- I I it it it, ju- it seemed impossible to me. I'm glad people were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't seem possible. They, they to might me, look at what you did as kind of as as, as daring kind of daring and, dar- daring and impossible too. I think that's that's hum- that's human nature to. To, to see that to see someone else's um, path as 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 so as such a, a radical and difficult departure yeah and I, I mentioned to you during the break I heard an inter, an interesting interview on New York Public Radio a while ago about the point of view of people who never left their hometowns um, versus those like you who have the difference in you know education and you know privilege that comes from exposure to other places and the economic advantage. Of it, and I don't remember the whole thing, but the author was making the case that people who remain in their small hometowns tend to have a different worldview that is oftentimes more conservative politically. Would you? I mean, has that been your experience, or is it too hard to that, pin that down? That it, it it's hard it's hard to pin down. I know I I know from I I know a lot of very progressive people in East Hampton, and most of the, and and some of them have been there for a very long time or have lived there all their lives or, and some are newcomers. I have, I'm I'm probably not the best um, qualified to, to speak on that, but I think that um, the good things that happen in any, in any community um, can't help but affect even in East Hampton is small enough so that even if you were there all your life, it's small enough so that you can feel secure, mm-hmm. but because of Northampton, because of Holyoke, because of Springfield, Amherst, mm-hmm. they're also close by. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of cross pollination, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of feeling that, um, especially nowadays, um, you know, transport. You know, no, there's not great public transportation, but you know, cars are better. You can get places mm-hmm. faster. There's more cross pollination. Mm-hmm. I don't think East Hampton, and and also East Hampton became a city. The democratic process came alive. Many people mm-hmm. became involved. There are a lot of volunteers in East Hampton who are on committees. There's a lot of opportunity to get engaged in the community. And I think that the provincialism that might be in a small town has gotten diffused mm-hmm. and um, broken up yeah. by that. Did you find that your pol- political viewpoint changed, that your politics changed when you left? East Hampton. When, when I le- when I when I moved to, I moved to New York because I craved being in a place where, um, you know, I felt you know in the adolescent tribe, you feel like you're the only person who feels the way you do. Yeah, right. You're the tribe of one. Well, of course you're not, mm-hmm. but you're looking for your tribe. You're looking, and I realized in New York that the individuality was was embraced was 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 not glorified, but but um, encouraged, and yet I found acceptance in so many different. Com- I like being a part of. I like having a core community, but I like fitting into a lot of other communities and appreciating the cultures of other people. So New York, New York made me 
into it, it just you know accelerated that that potential for me and I brought it back to East Hampton I I felt very very accepted mm-hmm. and um but obviously my politics I mean I I worked in public service for a long time mm-hmm. so I'm not I'm I'll, and I'll never lose. I'll never lose. I'll never lose that. Um, you know, being a champion of of young people, for instance, mm-hmm. or being a champion of people whose backgrounds are different from mine. So you didn't necessarily um, feel a shift in your political, your politics, or no, belief it, system. No, yeah. no, they uh-huh. they. Um, but everything's an evolution. Yeah, um, and did you grow up in a sort of democratic? parents who were democratic or I, they they they, they yeah. were open-minded mm-hmm. they were open-minded mm-hmm. um they were open-minded people and um and uh everything you know individuals um the individual was very important developing for yourself but we also i also grew up feeling that you know it you know i grew up in a very catholic um house you know the, we, we had a catholic back you know this christian catholic you know um love thy neighbors, I love thyself. But, and my father used to always say to me, well, you know, but you're, you, it was, you're practicing your religion by, by, by being good to, you know, by working with children, by, um, being kind to actions, actions, speaking louder than words. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you've been listening to Under the Surface. I've been talking to Marjorie Zyke, a native of East Hampton, who left her hometown to live in New York City for more than three decades. Is there any chance you might do a memoir? Because I know that you're a writer, Marjorie. When I first moved here, my dad said, um, two can live as cheaply as one. You are not, you're not going to work. I need, you, you need to be around the house. You're going to write a book. Oh. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but his health was declining and... The house, everything needed my attention, and I never got around to it. He passed away in the summer uh-huh. of August of of, of August, in August 2014, mm-hmm. and I I've, I've just I had to go back to work, and I haven't. So, mm-hmm. oh, ideally, yes. You have a lot of material to work from, definitely. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so she vowed never to return, and but despite all odds, she actually did return, and she lives in East Hampton now as a permanent resident as far as we know, and is very (laughs) glad she did. So thanks so much, Marjorie, for being a guest on today's show. It's been a pleasure having you here. You're very welcome, Amy. It's been a pleasure likewise. And thanks for listening, everybody. Please tune in again next Sunday at 12 noon to hear my interview with the artist and sculptor Kamel Peters. And I'm going to leave you with a song handpicked by Marjorie called Secret Gardens by Judy Collins and sung by Sean Colvin. Have a great week, everybody.
With.